as, as you know, we love to spend time in corporate prayer, and we just thought it would be fitting uh, to be praying, not only for the offering that was taken up, but for the ministry that's going to come from that. Uh, so why don't you bow your heads and let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, for without it, we would literally be left to guess who you are and what your plan is. And we would be at the, um, at the mercy of historians who are going to describe things, but instead you have, uh, in, in your kindness and your mercy and in your grace, you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you for the Gideons and for uh, the way that they spread your, your fame, um, your name. I pray, Father, that what we gave would be a blessing. I pray, Father, that you would multiply it, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of faith. That is the reason why we're even here. And so we thank you for it all. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Um, so I'll be reading the text for us this morning in Revelation chapter 3. Um, and what a privilege it is that we get to have a Bible in our hands and in front of the pews, like Jeff was saying. Um, it's a joy that we get to have this word and the privilege as a church to submit to it and to listen and allow it to pierce our hearts, restore our spirit, and give us life. Um, that we live in an area of the world where we don't have to fear. Uh, we don't have to fear to sit in a room like this and worship together. Um, and we are here for the Lord. And I'm just really grateful for us and for our leadership and that we're able to submit to him, um, submit to our Lord, and to get to worship him this morning. So I will be starting in verse 7. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the True One, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world and to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of God, of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alexia. Good morning, church. I don't remember his full name, but I guess that probably is appropriate because when you go by and, and your first title is Big, then it doesn't matter what your last name is. You know what I mean? His name was Big John. I want to introduce you to Big John. And I didn't even wonder, where did you get the title Big from? No, I could tell with my eyes why they called him Big. He was very, very large. It was complicated because we were actually in a maximum security prison in Jefferson City, Missouri. And I had never been in one before. I wondered how he came to faith. 
He told the story, didn't go into details on the first part, but something had happened and a robbery had gone wrong and two people were killed and then he went away for the rest of his life. He said that when he first went to prison, he was a very angry person. I wasn't surprised. And, And he said that someone early in his days put a Bible under the door and he was angry but realized these are his words not mine I had a lot of time on my hands and I really wanted to see like what was all the fuss about God he, he knew about him but maybe he only knew him by name did not know the specifics or even care and again his testimony was and so I read the Bible front to back and then I read the Bible front to back And then I read the Bible front to back. And it was that third time that I was reading it when my eyes were opened up to the reality of of not just who God is, but who I am, my own brokenness and my own sinfulness. And it was there in that prison cell. And then he, I'll never forget this, he said something to the effect of, um, and I have been free ever since. Big John It was weird, I didn't even really care much about his last name, Big John. I've thought about him a lot. It's interesting how I remember thinking to myself, I was a professor at the college and we're going to be going there. We're going to go to this maximum security prison in Jefferson City, Missouri, so that we might take there the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we were going to go there and share the good news about Jesus. We were going to tell people about Jesus. And what we found out when we got there was that he was already there. He had already been doing a work. And hear me, I wasn't like dumbfounded by this. I didn't go, really? Like I thought we were the only ones that knew. No, I I knew, but have you ever been places and you're just genuinely surprised that Jesus was already there? And and for me, it was in a, in in the, I don't think they called it the yard. I've watched too many prison movies, I guess. So I'm in the yard. You know, it's not like that. It wasn't like that. But we're in this room and I'm I'm beginning to hear testimony after testimony of, of people. And there were a number of stories like that, Jeff. Not Nikolai. Surprise, surprise, he's in Russia, right? Nikolai. Uh, mine, was, mine was Big John. Which is kind of even how this letter comes to us today. The letter to the church at Philadelphia. It, it, it was written from God to his son, Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who then sent it to John, who was then a messenger to take it to these seven churches in Asia Minor. And when the revelation came to the Christians in Asia Minor, um, they already knew. They already knew the story. Somebody else had already brought it to them. And so much of what happens with the Word of God, it is a, it is a confirmation of what others who've gone before have, have given. Now, don't get me wrong. There are places, indeed, there are, there are places um, if, if I understand the story right, um, it was actually part of a group that I was with in a certain part of Africa, and as far as we know, it were maybe some of the very first baptisms that happened in that part, in that province. But I was very, I mean, I read my Bible, I, I know about an Ethiopian who was baptized long before Jim Johnson got there. And so much of what we do for the glory of God is for his purposes, not ours. For his name, not ours, is that we give 
even small amounts, and we share, even in insignificant ways, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what this particular letter, this specific letter, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, what, what it's really about. Um, every one of these letters, as I read them, I think, oh yeah, that's me. I'm someone that really can be, uh, someone could claim, I think, you've lo- I think you've lost the love that you had at first. Yeah, that's me. I think you tolerate evil. How many of you felt convicted? Drew Moss challenged us, right, recently, don't fall into some kind of a lackadaisical, apathetic, I mean, you felt like, I think that might be me. Of all the letters, and I'm about to preach about lukewarm, so that one's going to hit us too. This one actually was the one, and I was surprised, because I've studied Revelation for a long time, I was really surprised how much I felt like a resident of Philadelphia. How much I realized, wow, this really is, I think, me. I don't know if you know this, but there are roughly 2,000 names in the Bible. First of all, I thought that would be like an easy trivia to look up. Hey, Mr. Google, Mrs. Google, Ms. Google, I have no idea. Um, How many names are in the Bible? And I pushed the button, came back, 3,772 is what one gentleman estimated. And I thought, you know, this would just be kind of a good trivia type thing. So I wrote that down, but then, no, 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 When, when you Google something, I don't know. How many of you love to do the deep dive? Yeah, we're, we're chasing this rabbit. And so I did, right? I chased the rabbit, and I, I began to realize that it's complicated. I, I just thought that you could just do a quick search and know the number of names, but then I found out that that 3,772 number of names, actually that was taking into account not just the name, literally James or Nikolai or John, but literally like the names, even if they're repeated more than once, and not even just names, but sometimes when it would just say he or she Even though we don't know the name, but it was still the reference. And I went, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. I want to know how many names. It ended up being somewhere between 1,700 and 1,900 names. If you don't count the fact that Moses' name is mentioned a lot or Jesus' name is mentioned a lot, it's the same Jesus. It only counts once. There's roughly about 2,000 names in the Bible. And then I began to think, I wonder how many of them I know. And really, not a lot. Why? Because you and I do this. Um, We remember the names that are important. And we remember important names because people are important. And it's not the same kind of importance. Right? You know in your nation's history, George Washington. How many of you heard of him? Raise your hand. Right? Oh yeah, we've all heard of George Washington. Okay. We know the names that are famous. We know the names that are important and even in the Bible. And, and there is something, I think, in every one of us, at some point in our lives where we wonder, will I, will my name, will what I do, will the difference that I make, will, will it, where, where will it be? And many of us want, and if we're honest, partly because it's cool to be famous, Hey, I saw your name in the paper. Really? Yeah, you got a ticket. Yeah, oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Not that kind of famous. How many of you had your name in the paper as a kid and your mom clipped it out, right? I really didn't do much. I gave a you know, candy bar to a kid or did some kind of a fundraising thing, raised $37, and you make it into the paper. You realize it's probably not the most significant thing in the world, but mom's proud. It's interesting that if you ever wonder, 
And again, let's just assume that, yeah, there's part of me that just wants to be famous. But I've been around now long enough to realize that I probably won't be. And then how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that, that chances are you're not going to be the outstanding alumni, you're probably not going to have your name on a building, you're probably not going to... You okay with that? Now, now here's what I mean by okay with that. Like, are you okay with that without just kind of giving up? Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and now all of a sudden you look at your life and it appears to have like almost no significance. You know, if I can't have my name on a building, if I can't be one of the top grad, if I can't be, then then what does it really matter? Like, that's equally broken. To try to make a name for yourself or to just not care about your name are both inappropriate responses for those of us who know the name Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I love this chapter because Hebrews chapter 11 has a list of names, famous names. And and when I read that, that, that list, that, that list of, of great men and women of faith, men and women of faith, I've often thought to myself, although I didn't hold on to the fancy thought long, I wonder if my name will make it in there. No, probably not. Actually, because, you know, we're not adding to Scripture, so it's, personal, it's, it's, it's for sure not going to make it into Hebrews 11. And when you look at this list of names, you just really wouldn't be surprised when you look at the list. Abel. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. When you're one of the first humans ever to walk on the planet, yeah, they're going to remember you. And, and then Noah. Oh, yeah. I get it. No, I remember him. Of all the Bible story lessons that I've heard, Noah, I've heard probably almost as much as almost any other Bible story. Noah built the ark. Know all about it. Noah. And as it goes on, you've got like Abraham and, oh, yeah, well, obviously Father Abraham. We have a song. It's a really dumb song, but we have a song about Father Abraham. Um, and it's interesting, Father Abraham had many sons. No, he didn't, but that's another problem. It's when you listen to bad theology that comes from songs, but that's another sermon. And then Sarah makes the list. It's always interesting when you get a surprise. We're coming up to, to Christmas, and, and literally Matthew's gospel and Luke's account of this, they almost both begin with a list of names. And as you walk through, it's like, never heard of him, never heard of him, never heard of him, never heard of him. Oh, I've heard of her. Yeah, that was a, she, she's got some questionable things about her. Yeah, I've never heard of him, never heard of him. And then the kings came up. This is Matthew's list. I remember him, I remember him, I remember him, I remember him. Oh, there she is. Abraham and then Sarah. And, and then we, we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to see some, some rather famous people like Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and then Moses. You almost have to say it in a Charlton Heston voice. Moses. Yeah, he would obviously make the list. And then look, verse 31. Rahab. And what's interesting is she didn't make it with what she did with most of her life. Although they talk about that in the Bible. The Bible's not afraid to speak the truth about us. But she's in there for what she did in one very small part of her life responding faithfully at a moment she had no idea was this important but she was faithful and it changed the trajectory of her of her family you know she's the one that is on the list of Jesus's descendants Rahab the prostitute huh 
And so I've gone through this list, and I, I just realized, yep, nope, my name's not there. And, and then I, I began to realize, after looking at this letter to the church in Philadelphia, it might be okay that my name doesn't make it on every list. And maybe there's even an inappropriate fascination with wanting my name on a list. And then as I was reading and rereading and, and looking and relooking and reflecting on Hebrews chapter 11, I, I noticed, oh, there, there's my name. There it is right there. I don't know how I ever missed it. And by the way, your name is there too. Verse 36, first word. You see it? What's it say? Others. Huh. Hashtag, my name is others. <laughs> That's me. I've actually been an other a lot of my life, to be honest with you. I think literally my name is others. Now, when a lot of us hear that, we just, it, it just sounds so insignificant. It just it sounds like more of a, just a catch-all. Uh, it is. It, it really is. And I think it rubs against me. I think it can rub against us because we are doing so much to make a name for ourselves. Yeah, I didn't remember the name of your kid, but I'm so glad they made the honor roll. Yeah, I can't really remember um, the name of your kid, but I now know his number and the fact that you're really proud of how he's doing on his baseball team. Like, there is something that every one of us have about wanting to have a name, and we just don't want to be included in the category of miscellaneous. And yet, in Hebrews 11, what we actually see is, is not that these others don't matter, but these others, which I'm just going to say, that's me pretty important group of people. Here's what it says about me. Here's what it says about us. Although, literally, these first others that are being described are Old Testament others. It says, others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. Verse 37, they, not by name, but it's not that they didn't matter, and it's not that God doesn't know their name. Maybe there are so many who have been faithful. There have been so many who have struggled. There have been so many that it's almost impossible to name them all. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins. Now, by the way, that, that doesn't mean they had cool coats. It means literally that they were tied up and then cast to the lions to be torn up. That's what it means to have goatskin or calfskin on you destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then it says about them, about us, that the world was not worthy of them. You can't say they're not important. You can't say that I don't have value. So much so that in light of God and in light of his plan, that the world is not worthy of me. That the world is not worthy of us. They wandered around in deserts and on mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God provided something, for, something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Huh. I don't know if you've ever noticed that verse. I, I, I've read this chapter I don't know how many times, and I just kind of just skipped through that. Maybe because after I was done, the list of important names, I never realized how God is working all of these things together for the good of all of us and for the glory of him. 
Maybe somehow I decided to just disconnect since you know, my name wasn't there. Or I learned as much as I could from those people who were the most important that I failed to recognize that there is someone, something that is being done that is far greater and far bigger and, and far wider and far deeper than just what any one of us could accomplish. And, and what verse 40 says is that God had provided something better for us than what the Old Testament saints had. So that they would not be made perfect. And, and that word does not mean sinless. It literally means that it's just not complete. Abraham's plan and purpose was not complete until all of us had been tied in and accomplished. Maybe Abraham did have many sons. Maybe that song's not about like biological children, of which those were very limited, but maybe it's about what God is going to do through Abraham. In fact, God was the one who called Abram when he was a nothing, when he was a no one, when he had no children, and he had no prospect of ever having children. And he said, I am going to bless you, and I am going to make your name great. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. I will make you into a great nation indeed. I will bless all of the world. Through, through you, through your seed. If you go back and take a look, it's not about Abraham. It was about God's call to Abraham and then God's purposes in Abraham. And then what Abraham did well, and he didn't do it perfectly, but what Abraham did well was he said yes. Yes, Lord. And, and, and actually, if I go back and I look, there was really nothing special he did. It was what God did through him. And as I go back through Hebrews 11, oh, it's the same for you, Noah. You might go, yeah, have you ever tried to build a boat? No. But also, I've never been asked to build a boat. I actually do believe that if the Lord were to appear to me and say, by the way, Jim, build a boat. And he called me to build a boat. I think I could build a boat. If you go back and you look at the list of names, I, I dare you to do this, in the entire Bible, what you're going to find out is there's lots of heroes and none of them did things that were, I mean, if they are heroic, please hear me, it's complicated. I'm, I'm not saying they didn't do heroic things, but all they did was just trust the Lord in what he said. And we Rudy clap them, right? Because all they did was something that the Lord had called them to do, something the Lord empowered them to do, something the Lord had given them, had given them the strength to do. And I would argue every name in the Bible, except one, our Savior, really did nothing extraordinary. I find it interesting that even Jesus said that his primary purpose was just to do the will of his Father who had sent him. And maybe that's why we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus came... Although his family had a rich tradition, they hadn't done anything special in generations. And they came from a, from a, a no-place town, and then they moved to a no-place town, and his dad had a nothing job. And, and God said, this is the one in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And maybe that's why Philadelphia actually means so much. Because as we, we look at this and we realize that the vast, vast, vast majority of us are never going to do anything that is so amazing that our name is going to be remembered for generations. I was doing a, a, a speaking at a 
youth ministry in Ohio years ago, and the youth ministers, his theme for that year was, we are going to live our lives in such a way that we are going to leave a mark on our high school where our name is going to be remembered, your name is going to be remembered for at least 100 years. I want you to sit down, and I want you to plan, and I want you to think about how your name could somehow be remembered 100 years after. And I, I thought to myself, but the only way I can assure that is if I do something really bad. That's about the only way in which I can almost guarantee, yeah, they're not going to forget my name, Adolf, right? Do something really, really bad. Now, by the way, there are people that do things really, really good. How many of you are going, I don't think I can remember 12 people from my graduation class 30 years ago? I mean, I dare say 100, do you have any idea 100 years what that means? And, and do you realize the kind of weight it puts? I, I remember I was, I was speaking for an organization, um, and their motto was, change youth, change the world. And I'd walk into their lobby, and the big letters, change youth, change the world, and nothing against youth. I think you, you all are, are valuable, and you're important. Your parents have been telling you that for a really, really long time, valuable and important. Right? And by the way, it's, it's true. It's, it's how we find that value. It's how we, how, we, how we understand, how we work out our importance. That's what matters. But I remember just thinking to myself, okay, like I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm, my, my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel is to help change you so they will change the world. And I just thought, do you realize what many of these young people are just struggling to accomplish and you're asking them to change the world? No wonder they feel a burden. Imagine if I said to you, hey, this morning, make sure you change the world. <laughs> are you kidding me? I just figured out a few years ago that my shoes are supposed to match my belt. <laughs> and tomorrow, I'm going to change the world. Day two, day one, match. Day two, change the world. Now, here's what's happening is that I think many of us are just kind of going, okay, I'm going to mail in the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not going to change the world. My name's not going to be on a list. Why should I try? Welcome to Philadelphia. Scholars wonder why Philadelphia is even on the list. I know you. The only reason why you know there's a church at Ephesus is because of Ephesians and sometimes that it's mentioned. But chances are you would have never heard of Ephesus. You have never heard of Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamum, Thyatira. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Philadelphia. Oh, Pennsylvania? It's really the only name that we know. But, but this is probably the most insignificant city of the seven. It was a nothing town. Scholars have no idea why it's even on the list. They can't figure it out. It's an, um, it's an agricultural town. There's no business center. There's no religious epicenter. Um, we, we love to talk about how the Apostle Paul went to all of these great cities. So as he realized, because from these great cities, the gospel might be proclaimed. And I'm going, listen, yeah, in a couple of places. But he wasn't the first one to Rome. But he's also going to places like Iconium and Lystra. But when, 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 when we get a hold of it as Americans, as, as Westerners... Well, here's how you make a difference in the world. You make a difference in the world by being, by, by having your name, really. Welcome to Philadelphia. Hashtag, my name is others. I, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a in, they, they were, they were just farmers. Just doing, like managing their crops. They, they were just husbands and wives. I don't know if they were outstanding alumni. I don't know if they ever had a building named after them. 
And even if they did, it's just Philadelphia. Like Nobody's ever heard of this town. It's the place where you go to when you're really trying to get somewhere. Which, by the way, I think one of the reasons why I like it is because, um, and I'm just going to say this, and I think most of you probably know this already, but I'm Canadian, so give me a little bit of space on this. I didn't even know there was an Oklahoma for a lot of my life. Right? I didn't know about the sweeping through a plane or something like that. I didn't know about all those things. Um, I, I didn't know this. I'd never heard of Oklahoma State University, even though you're proud and she's immortal. Did not know she was immortal. You had to teach me that she was immortal and you are going to herald her fame. Yeah, like in Toronto, not a lot of people know. I didn't know much about Stillwater. I'd heard of it. Don't get me wrong. I'd heard about it. I, I, I went to college the same year that Barry Sanders became famous, and so I began to learn about Oklahoma State. I began to learn about Stillwater. But I had actually preached revivals in Cushing and in Perkins, Oklahoma. And then one day, I was in Perkins, and I decided that I would just take a different road because I would actually drive down through Tulsa and then across on 33. And then I was shocked at how quickly I ended up in Stillwater. Did you know you can get to Perkins just down this road? You don't got to go all the way to Tulsa and then back around. Like, Perkins is not that far away. I, I, I was thinking to myself, wow, wow, wow. I had no idea. And again, no offense. Some of you are from small towns. Um, Tryon, Oklahoma. You know where Tryon is? It kind of rhymes with Philadelphia. But where, where you and I get it wrong... And, and the Bible told us we were going to get it wrong. We have this fascination with names and parking spots. We have this fascination with titles. And God does not. Zechariah 4.6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Like the Bible makes it very clear. Moses spent all of his time going, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not, I'm not able to do this. And God said, no, I just want you to go to Pharaoh, and I will put the words in your mouth. I promise you, Moses, you're not the one getting the people out of Egypt. You could never do that. Moses did not get the people out of Egypt by being a good leader. We, we teach, like, leadership principles about Moses. Yeah, the leadership principle is Moses did what God told him to do. That's the leadership principle of Moses. The leadership principle of the disciples is, and they did what Jesus told them to do. In Philadelphia is, is this town, and, and that's why I don't know how you read it, but take a look at verse 8. Jesus describes them with, with very few words, and here's how they're described. And I've always considered, here's, here's, here's the proof in the pudding. I've studied Revelation for a really, really long time, and I just didn't think the letter to the Philadelphians mattered that much. You know why I missed it? Because I didn't know how to measure what matters. And so I know a lot about Ephesus and a lot about Laodicea and a lot about Pergamum, but Philadelphia, yada, yada, yada. A yada, 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 Philadelphia. Here's how we're described. Look at verse 8. I know your works never really lists them like he does in other letters. He just says, I know your works. Look, behold, the word behold, it's kind of another translation for that word look, appears three times in the book of Revelation, twice in this letter. Behold, pay attention. I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have little power. And maybe that's why I overlooked them because they had little power. 
Doesn't that sound like derogatory? Doesn't that actually sound like they're insignificant? And by the way, the only reason why it sounds like that is because they, again, when I say insignificant, I don't mean to the Lord, or I don't mean to like the purposes for them in their community. I just mean like on the world stage. They were just insignificant. We don't know of any famous bishops. We don't know of any famous Christians. No, they were just people that um, had had very little power. It it doesn't mean that they weren't being faithful. If anything, um, a lot of scholars believe that of all the churches, this may have been the strongest. There's not one negative thing said about it. There's another church that no negative thing is said about them. But they wonder if maybe no negative thing was said was because they were really being attacked. And in Philadelphia... And isn't it interesting, you and I read that, how many of you have read that, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have read that little power idea and literally thought, oh, poor them? I think the best thing that's happened to me in the last 18 months is for me to feel like I have little power. Best thing. Now, by the way, I was intrigued like it was the best thing. I've been frustrated, I've been angry. Not, not depressed, but if you were to call me that, I don't, don't know if I would argue long with you. I don't think I was, but I definitely felt like, you know what I would do if I was in power, you know what I'd do if I was in control, you know how I would have handled this. Anybody else figure that out? And, and one of the most um, debilitating, powerless, frustrating things is just to realize that I have little power. And I've never heard the word power being used so much as in the last 18 months. Power, and how, how do we take power, and how do people abuse power? It, it's so interesting. I literally think that if I were to have the power, then in the end, I could actually make a difference. And if I don't have the power, then I can't make the difference. And so one of the reasons why I don't do a lot in my life is because I just don't have the power. But if I had the power, then I would do something. And again, remembering... Which one should be king? The tall one? The strong one? The one with the graduate degree? No. The, the, the one that you've overlooked. Okay, but why would he be king? And God said, because I, I don't measure the way you measure. I measure the heart. And before he was ever King David, he was actually David from Philadelphia, from Tryon, Oklahoma. Nowhere town. Just David. Just a shepherd who then followed God, and, and we know him as King David. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus actually says to them, I know you have little power, but then it says this, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And honestly, I just, I read that and I think, okay, where are the important people? And the answer is right here in Philadelphia. We can't have it both ways. We, we, we look at how Jesus came into this world and we look at what he accomplished. We look at those he's called to himself and those that he has sent out. We look at how the church, even Paul says to the church in Corinth, you do realize like you, you, you had nothing. And that everything you have is, is from God and it is for him. That, that God has chosen. We know it. The Bible actually says it. That God does not choose those with great names and great power. In the end, that God humbles the powerful and he lifts up the lowly. Like we know this and yet we strive for this. 
I guess I'm, I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else. I don't know if you said it in second service, Jeff. I didn't hear it, but you said this about yourself in first service. I'm not special. I get what you're saying, brother. I get what he's saying. If you want to be a Gideon, you don't have to be special. But I'll tell you this. Being a Gideon will make you special. You don't have to be special to be a Christian. But being a follower of Jesus, by by being faithful to him, even though you have little power, even though you are insignificant, and you're mildly to moderately offended that I've just called you that, and you're ready to go home and tell your mom, and I'm going to get a Facebook post about me later on today. But since I'm not on Facebook, it doesn't matter. No, we, we, we want significance. We want a name, and if not for us, for our children. We just want it. And yet Jesus says, to the vast majority of us, you have little power, And I hope that he can say about us, and yet, you have kept. By the way, that word kept is the same promise that we see in Revelation chapter 1. Blessed are those who hear the word of this prophecy and keep my word. Yeah, the insignificant people in Philadelphia did exactly what God asked them to do. And and that's the greatest thing in the world. Now, why does this matter so much? Here's why this matters so much. It is because of this. What if it is true that the most important thing about you isn't about you. Let me say that again. What if the most important thing about you isn't about you? That that reorganizes how you understand your identity. It reorganizes how you manage your hopes. It reorganizes what you do with your dreams. When those of us who become followers of Jesus Christ realize that it means humbling ourselves and becoming like a child, for unless you become like a child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how this letter to Philadelphia just lines up with everything else the Bible teaches? There's nothing wrong with being excited about those who made the list in Hebrews 11. The reality is the vast majority of people just find themselves there in verse 36. Because in the end, when it comes to names, there's only one name that matters. I think one of the reasons why Philadelphia doesn't really talk much about them is because it spends so much time talking about Jesus. It spends so much time talking about Jesus that they just don't have a lot of time to talk about people. And I think that's a good thing. I'm really beginning to think, like at my funeral, I really hope that you don't hear a lot about Jim, but you hear a lot about Jesus. I really hope when, when people look back on, on my life that it's not so much what they're talking about in terms of Jim, but what they talked about in terms of Jesus. And that is why it's not about the little power of the people at Ephesus, but it is about the great power of Jesus. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, literally the one who is trustworthy, The one who has the key of David. Now, you're impressed with David? I'm the one that has the keys to that guy. I'm the one over him. Like, oh, you're impressed with kings? I'm the king of the kings. Oh, you like lords? I'm the lord of the lords. The one who has the key of David, who opens and no one closes, who closes and no one opens. Now there's power. 
And what these insignificant people needed was not self-importance, but they needed a picture of Jesus. What you and I need, I don't know if you'll be satisfied with it, I don't know if I'll be satisfied with it, I pray that I'll be satisfied with it, is not a name for myself, but the name of Jesus upon me. He says, I know your works. Look, and I, I get to the whole idea of being weak, but in, before he actually says that, behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. When you feel insignificant, Jesus is saying, I want you to know I'm the one opening doors, closing doors. I'm the one who's in control. I am the one who's in power. And, and, and maybe what I need to learn as a follower of Jesus Christ is, is, is not trying to figure out how to open and close doors, but responding to the open and closed doors. By the way, I think the metaphor is more than just opportunity. It's also a, a word that is used particularly in Revelation. Come back next week for Laodicea. It's not about opportunity. It's about judgment. Like, I'm the one that makes the final statement. I'm the one that makes the final assessment. I am the one that opens and closes things. You think that power looks like this. I'm telling you, I am power. It is by my strength. It is for my name. And, 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 and interestingly enough, it's usually only people from Philadelphia who get that. It's only people who are content to live in Philadelphia who can understand that or who can appreciate that. Because it really is true. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Maybe one of the best things God could ever do is to keep our name out of the top part of Hebrews 11 and, and just have it right there in verse 36. He also says this in verse 9, I will make them come down and bow down at your feet. Who, who are those people? Those are the Jews who say they are Jews, but they truly are not. Now, now by the way, they, they probably are ethnic Jews. But they are like the Jews that we read in John's gospel who just cannot believe that Jesus is in fact the son of God. And they are the ones who are slandering those Christians who are saying, God is against you. They are slandering them. They are causing doubt to kind of creep into their thinking. That's the major issue that's happening in the book of Revelation. People who are speaking, people who are challenging, people who are trying to deconstruct our faith or help us deconstruct our faith. There are real enemies and real opponents, and that's what they're trying to do. They are trying to get us to forsake the name, to remove the name. They do that in part by wanting us to accomplish a name or to make a name. And Jesus says, when it's all said and done, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring them, and they are going to bow down at your feet. And at first, when I read that, I'm like, good, they should. They should apologize to me after all they've done against me. But, but look at what he says here in verse 9. When they come and bow down at their feet, they're not going, we're sorry, Jim, you're awesome. We're sorry, Jim, you're awesome. Look, look at what he says they're going to do. And they will know that I have loved you. This humbling is not so much about us. Again, it's about him. The kind of vindication that a Christian finds joy in is not, I was right, as much as it is, he is Lord. Do you get that? Does that explain your frustration? Does, does that explain the anxiety in your chest? Because of your apparent insignificant? Let me help you. You are insignificant. We, we are. If we're going to be honest, we are far more powerless than any of us want to admit or to acknowledge. And until we learn to admit it, 
that that is true. I am from Philadelphia. But my Savior is not. He is from Bethlehem. My Savior is not. He is actually from the throne room of heaven. And he is coming back one day for me. I think one of the reasons why our names really probably don't matter as much as we want them to matter, and that comes from a guy whose name is Jim Johnson, the most generic name in America. Roughly 40,000 of me in America. 40,000. Okay? Insignificant. Even collectively, there's only 40,000 of us. You know what I mean? Is because what, what Jesus promises to the church in Philadelphia, take a look at it right at the very end. I'm going to give you a new name. You know why my name doesn't matter? Because I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you the name of my God, and I'm going to give you a new name of the new city that you're going to be in. It's not even going to be Philadelphia. It's going to be this new Jerusalem. And then I'm going to give you, Jesus says, three times it mentions this renaming, and the last one is I'm going to give you my name. Good. Because that's the name I love the most anyway, or at least the name I'm trying to love the most anyway. And so I pray that you don't just sit on the corner and go, I'm never going to get to play. I'm a nobody. And you're not just always like, like, like just scratching and clawing at fame. But in the end, you understand that it's not up to me. It's not up to us to try to figure out what our legacy is. All you've been asked to do by Jesus himself, who knows you, is to behold Look at me and all that I have accomplished and all I ask of you and it will take all of you is that you keep everything that I have asked you to do. You know people who like are trying to change the world and they can't stay married? People that are trying to make a difference and they can't actually have an impact on their own kids? People who are famous for the wrong thing? church. May we set our eyes on Jesus and may he say of us that we kept his word to the glory of his name, not ours. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the freedom of trying to make a name and for the joy of having yours. And I pray, Father, that as we sing praise to your name, that you would hear our voice. God, I thank you for pointing out the obvious that many of us will find in our lives is that I, I'm wondering what my life amounted to. And I pray, Father, that with great joy that we would trust you in the allotment of our days, the place that we live and the times in which we live, and that you would free us from trying to make a name for ourselves and that you would help us focus on your holy and trustworthy name. And the church said, and now let us stand and sing praise to his name.